0: It is the final Wednesday night where we'll be considering the good kings of Judah. Now, next week, on Thursday and on Friday, we're also going to be considering more kings. So this sermon series is going to continue through next week as well. We're not totally just leaving this behind, but this is our last look at uh, one of the really good kings here in this rhythm that we've established in the season of Lent. And like all the others, King Josiah, he was good for the typical reasons, right? He was described as walking in the ways of his father, really his great, 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 you know, and so on and so forth, grandfather, David. And he did all the things that good kings do. He destroyed all of the altars to false gods, not just in Jerusalem, but he went out into the whole country. And he restored the temple. And we skipped over that in our readings. This, is, this would really be like all of Second Chronicles 34 and 35, which I read in preparation to preach this, but I figured probably two whole chapters of 2 Chronicles, you know, here on a Wednesday night after we just had some great food. That, I mean, might not be the wisest idea. You know what I'm saying? I see, I see some of you understand what I'm getting at there. Anyway. Josiah began to restore the temple, and he put a lot of money and a lot of time and energy into this, and the people who were doing the work found something inside the temple. And we might think this is not that big of a deal, but they found the book of the law. In other words, they found the first five books of our Bibles. They found the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which had been lost. So... This gets transported up to to, to Josiah, and he reads it, and he weeps. He weeps openly because he realizes we have fallen so far from what God has commanded of his people. And he is also weeping because at the end of the Torah, at the end of the first five books of the Old Testament... When Moses is giving his final, his his speech, his farewell speech to the people before they cross into the promised land and before he goes and dies, there are these promises of blessing and reward for obeying God's commands. But there's also a promise of punishment for disobedience. And that punishment entails being driven out of the land. That punishment entails being utterly destroyed and taken off into exile. Josiah reads all of this and starts to put these pieces together. And, you know, right in the middle of this great campaign to revitalize their faith, to call everyone back from idolatry, he realizes we are, well, we are not in a good spot. God's judgment already rests upon us. And yet, When the people return to the Lord, their God, he is gracious and merciful to them. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and abounding in steadfast love. As we've sung all through Lent before the gospel readings. There's a reason we do all these little things. God is gracious and merciful when people return to him. And so Josiah is told through the voice of one of God's prophets, this judgment is surely going to happen. There's no escaping it, Josiah. But because you have repented and you are seeking God with all your heart, it won't happen while you're alive. Your days as king will be days of peace and blessing and righteousness. The culmination of Josiah's kingship, his reign, were religious and you might even say liturgical reforms. He stopped the people from worshiping false gods and reinstituted the true worship of Yahweh. Anytime you come across Lord in all capital letters, that's a stand-in for the word Yahweh, which is God's name that he gave to Moses at the burning bush. And the high point of this was the reinstitution of the Passover. The people had not kept the Passover as they were commanded to every year for a long, long time. And Josiah realizes we're supposed to be doing this every year. So if we're going to start this up again, it really needs to be like a, you know, um, big spectacle, but not just for the show of it, right? We really are, are torn inside because of how we have abandoned the Lord and how we've strayed. And so we want to make a return to the Lord, our God. And so they celebrate this Passover with such extravagance and solemnity that the text says in 2 Chronicles it exceeded every other Passover observed by every king of Judah there was never a more wow Passover celebration in terms of the like grandeur but also in terms of the unified heart of the people than there was at this point in what you could say from a right, zoomed out view is really a point of decline in the kingdom of Judah. Not even Solomon, when he finished the temple and they had their Passover, not even Solomon's could compare it to this one led by King Josiah. But after this, Josiah, this is where our reading picks up here on the second, the second reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 35, Josiah foolishly opposes this foreign power, which ironically is Egypt because, and I, and I say that's ironic because The Passover is their annual celebration for being led out of slavery in the land of Egypt. And here, Josiah may be thinking, the the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, these are our ancient enemies. God would never be on their side. But actually, God is on their side. God is actually speaking through the mouth of the Pharaoh. And he warns Josiah, Josiah, what what are you doing? I'm marching through your territory with my armies. Yeah, I get that. That's kind of, you might want an explanation for that, but I'm not here to hurt you. I'm going to make war with the person I'm going to make war with. So just, I don't know, go back up to Jerusalem. Don't worry about it. Your God is with me and don't try to stop me or else he'll destroy you. And Josiah is too hard headed and he gets himself killed. He goes into battle disguised in secret. And a random arrow takes him out. And not long after Josiah's death, Babylon comes and destroys Jerusalem and the temple and takes Judah off into exile. So with the death of Josiah, right, it says how much the people loved him. The prophet Jeremiah, that's the Jeremiah here in the text, he uttered a lament for Josiah. All the singing men and singing women, all of the musicians there was this lament song specifically composed for this good King's death. And I think Josiah might be the only one in second Chronicles to have this said of him, that the people sang this lament, why are our good King? Why did we lose him? Josiah's purification of the temple and the revival of true religion that was founded on the discovery of God's word in the temple. Remember they found this book of the law. They found God's word. And that was the catalyst for returning them to true worship of Yahweh. That all is kind of an interesting story, but it's really only interesting. It's really only worth caring about insofar as it helps us see Jesus. It, and this is kind of a fancy word, it prefigures Christ. It sort of helps us understand what Jesus did. Because... Jesus, right, they didn't find the book of the law in the temple somewhere. But John says in the first chapter of his gospel, in the beginning was the, you know what this is? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was in the beginning with God. And then later in that prologue, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. They didn't, with with the coming of Jesus, God's word took on flesh. The excitement wasn't about, oh, we found a book. God's word came and dwelt among us. And he was found within the temple, right? There are numerous accounts in the gospels of him being brought to the temple, of him staying in the temple as a little boy, and his parents leave, right? They're on the way back to Nazareth. They're like, where is Jesus? And they go back, and where do they find him? The temple. And Jesus, in a sense, was the true temple. Because what is the temple other than the place where God's presence resides? The place where God's glory dwells. And scripture says that the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus. Jesus is the temple. Walking around. And Jesus came to inaugurate true religion that opens the path to the father and opens a way for us to receive the gifts of God, right? This is so much better than what Josiah did getting rid of the false gods and reinstituting this sacrificial system where they had to continually make these sacrifices in order to pay for sin. Jesus comes to fulfill all of that and to start a better thing where he was the one sacrifice that paid for every sin of every person forever. Josiah and what he did is here. Jesus, I can't even reach as high as I need to for what Jesus did. And Josiah's religious reforms, they culminated in this reinstitution of the Passover. Jesus' ministry culminated in the institution of something different. And we invoke these words very often. On the night our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And you know how the rest of that goes. Jesus instituted this meal, this new covenant meal, the new, the, 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 the true and better Passover. Where Jesus leads an exodus greater than the exodus that Moses led for his people out of bondage not to the Egyptian pharaoh, but out of bondage to sin, death, and the devil. And after this, he then committed his spirit to God, and he died as king of the Jews, as it said right above him, just like Josiah. He finished his work instituting the Passover, and then he died as the king. But unlike Josiah, Jesus didn't leave the people without a successor. Josiah was The kingdom of Judah's last great hope. Jesus is the hope of the world. And Jesus did what no other king has ever done. He succeeded himself. Think about how crazy that is. Jesus as king succeeded himself. It didn't pass from Jesus on to someone else like it did with all these kings of Judah. The promise that God made to David that one of his sons would be the forever king, the perfect king, the best king. That came true in Jesus and not even Jesus' death could stop it because Jesus didn't stay in that grave. Amen? He came out of that grave. And now he is not just king of the Jews, but king of kings and Lord of lords. We glory in the death of our king because his death and resurrection is what our hope is built on. Right? If if we just put our hope in a king like Josiah, an earthly king or any of these other good kings, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Uzziah. Boy, I'm trying to remember these names. They're kind of tough ones, aren't they? Things are good as long as the king is following in the way of the Lord. As long as the king is righteous, things are good in that kingdom. But inevitably, even if that king is really awesome, that king dies, and who knows whether the person coming after them is going to be great. That's not what our hope as Christians is built on. We have a better king. The king that all of these kings of Judah were supposed to be. The king that all of these kings ultimately point to. In the logic of the world, the death of a good king means the death of hope. But in the logic of the gospel, the death of of a good king means the eternal life of our hope, the eternal life of our joy. The death of God's Son is the sure and certain foundation of the hope that we cling to. Amen.